Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown, all about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello, welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We are bringing to you live cards, uh, I should say, we're recording this live on a Tuesday afternoon, bringing you some recap info on the Arizona Cardinals and their 34-31 defeat at the hands of the Miami Dolphins. Uh, Maybe not the game that Cardinals fans expected, even if some of the outcome we did see on the field. Uh, My name is Blake Murphy on Twitter, at BlakeMurphy7. You can also listen to um, our podcast online there, RevengeOfTheBirds.com. With me to break it all down is my co-host, the venerable John Venerable. And John, the Cardinals fall to 5 and 3. They've got a tough game against the Buffalo Bills and then a short week against the Seattle Seahawks. So with a game against uh, a team that uh, right now as we talked about with Walter on our podcast earlier, looked like a playoff team in the Miami Dolphins. Cardinals come up just short. What is the quick takeaway that I think that you have overall for this game and as most Cardinals fans just felt like this was a brutal loss for the team to take at this point in the season. Yeah, I think I'm confident in saying this is the most disappointing loss of the season, considering what was at stake, the fact that for the second consecutive year, Cliff Kingsbury has really underperformed as the head coach coming out of the bye, and we'll get into game specifics, but, you know, when you look back at their other two losses this year, the Detroit game, you know, it's pretty evident that you know, the return of Kenny Galladay hurt the Cardinals defensively, and then Kyler Murray, three interceptions. Um, that was the deciding factor in the game, and you can pinpoint that, and, and you could chalk it up to saying that, you know, Kyler was, you know, still getting his bearings about him with his passing game early in the season. They were just completely outmanned in the Carolina game, and that game was never really particularly close. But with this game, we certainly felt like before coming into this contest, 5-2, and two, having won three straight games, Felt like they had turned a corner. You're at home. Kyler Murray is, again, the superior quarterback to, to Tua Tagliavoe, who did play well. But you've got the QB advantage. Um, and I, I do think they had the roster advantage, too. I think, you know, even with some guys out, they have better players than Miami. And for you to just kind of look dejected at certain points in the first half, the defense faltered, the offense was shut out in the fourth quarter. It's the kind of loss that... I think we thought this team was over, um, but we should have known better. Now, in the grand scheme of things, they're still on pace for a 10-win season. But, you know, we had talked about it, Blake. They needed to build up some capital because the second half of the schedule is is the difficult portion. You just mentioned playing what we assume are going to be two playoff teams back-to-back weeks uh, in Buffalo and Seattle. Now, Miami could very well be a playoff team, and I don't want to diminish what the Dolphins have done. They've won four in a row They've bullied the NFC West. They went three and one against the NFC West this year. They're a, they're an up and coming team, and they're certainly you know well coached with Brian Flores. But you've got a, a, an opposing quarterback in Tua that looked pretty inept last week against a Rams defense, and then you've got Vance Joseph with two weeks to prepare, and that was the effort that they gave. I, I just think that any goodwill that Vance had built up in you know the last five quarters or three quarters of the Seattle game. I think he lost a lot of credibility. 
with this contest because the Cardinal offense, uh, you know, I'm critical of, of Cliff and his conservative approach toward the end of the game. They scored 31 points on the number one scoring defense in the NFL. That should be good enough to win most Sundays. Now, I know they gave up a touchdown, uh, and the defense really only allowed 27 points, but still, uh, they didn't make two uncomfortable. They only sacked him once, or excuse me, they sacked him three times, but it, none of them felt, you know, significant. They forced zero turnovers. I know they have injuries at corner, but they just they looked uninspired defensively, and I think when you think about the Cardinals and some of these opposing offenses that they're going to have to face here in the second half of this year, Kyler Murray can't do it himself. And I think that that is kind of the model going around the Valley this week after Sunday's loss. Kyler Murray played close to a perfect game, as you could imagine, outside of the fumble that was returned for a touchdown, uh, which, you know, jailhouse blitz, protection wasn't great. Um, he never fumbles. I, I'm okay with, with those once in a while. Um, he didn't throw an interception. He was marvelous on third down, 21 to 26, almost 300 yards passing, three touchdowns, a passer rating of 150, which led the NFL this week. And oh, by the way, he carried the ball 11 times for 106 yards, almost 10 yards of carrying a touchdown. I mean, he literally put this team on his back and between the defensive lackluster effort, and then his coach becoming conservative in the fourth quarter, uh, gaffes on special teams. You know, we'll talk about Andy Isabella's continued fall down the depth chart, you would assume, after another just horrific performance. I just, I'm, I'm at the point now where it's like a lot of what we thought to begin the year, Blake, is, is probably coming factual. Now, for me, Murray is playing higher at a higher level than even I thought he could play. But I also thought that the MVP accolades or projections for Murray were very premature, not because of anything Kyler Murray would be doing, but I just thought that this team was not ready yet to be a contending team in the NFC, and it would it would cost him MVP votes, and we're seeing that. If if they if the Cardinals had won this game, they'd be six and two, they'd be atop the NFC, which is crazy to think about. And Kyler Murray would be firmly either in the lead for the MVP or right there in the mix with Mahomes and Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers. And now we're seeing a situation in which he is being held back by a roster with too many, and I put this out on Twitter after the game, there are just too many below-average players playing key roles on this team to hold them back from being a contender. Now, I still think they get to 9-10 to 10 wins. I still think they make the postseason as a wild-card team, but... You've got too many Andy Isabellas, too many Zane Gonzalez's, Jordan Hicks has regressed, Devondre Campbell hasn't played particularly well lately. You know, your, your corner situation is in dire straits right now. You've got a fourth-round defensive tackle playing too many snaps because you don't have any impact defensive linemen. This team, and again, I don't mean to talk holistically because I know we're only focusing on this game, it shows you in contests like this, Blake, Number one, they're another offseason away from reinforcing this roster to where it needs to be to contend. And number two is we have unanswered questions on the coaching staff, certainly defensively. And then with Cliff Kingsbury, whom I love, just was not good enough this week, and it showed late. Yeah, and with Cliff, it's been interesting because most of the criticism that's been levied at him as far as it goes was all focused on hey, what's going on with this? What's happening with this play calling? And if you look at how it was, like you said, the offense overall performed well. And most all of that, I think, would hinge on Kyler Murray because he put up over 100 rushing yards for the first time. Uh, now, I will say he should have had that against the Niners. That's kind of at least the model that we've seen for a couple of teams is when they blitz Kyler, he's able to at least escape, make plays with his legs, as well as be able to burn teams downfield. We got to see that on a couple of those big pass plays. Uh, we got to see Larry Fitzgerald get more involved. The offense wasn't really the problem. The issue overall, John, was we said, hey, the expectation was the Cardinals will be able to win this game by being able to force mistakes from a rookie quarterback making his second start. And outside of maybe the one pass to Jalen Thompson that was ruled out of bounds, and it clearly was, it was kind of just instead of tossing the ball ways away downfield, he just kind of tossed it trying to get out of bounds. Jalen picked it off. 
outside of that, there was basically no mistakes from Tua. He made great plays with his legs. He protected the football. There were sacks, but it wasn't that he was really baited or forced into any of these interception-making throws. If anything, you got to kind of see the importance that we have of some of these corners to making Vance Joseph's defense work. It seemed like for whatever reason, he was not able to kind of scheme up or dial up those areas of pressure. Credit goes off to Tua, and it really felt, John, like this was a game where the expectation coming in was that, all right, you've got Cliff Kingsbury against Brian Flores. That turned out to be a mismatch in part because Kyler Murray was able to make plays happen through scrambling or just being able to generate offense. Cliff Kingsbury, I think overall, as far as scheme goes, won that matchup. But on the other side, we got to see the Chan Gailey and Tua Tagovailoa uh, without their wide receiver too, without their starting running back. They were down to the likes of Patrick Laird and, uh, and Ahmad, who was getting his first carries. They essentially just put up a total of, I think it was 27 points on the Cardinals. The only mistake that really seems to have kind of hung around was that the Cardinals made a mistake with that fumble on the first play from Kyler Murray, which they managed to come back from all of that. But like you said, John, it felt like the Cardinals got punched in the face. And while the offense was able to recover and make it back to a tie game, it didn't seem like the defense was able to overcome losing the likes of a Byron Murphy, losing uh, the likes of a Drake Kirkpatrick. Um, you had maybe a couple of plays that were made. I know Bosby, who's been re-signed to the team's practice squad, had a good tackle. Uh, Jace Whitaker was not good overall, and he had to take over for Kevin Peterson, who left with a concussion. But even before that, John Peterson was getting targeted. It makes you at least kind of bring up some of the questions again and wonder, you know, how much of this defensive uh, ability is just, hey, you were missing guys on here. Someone needs to step up and make a play. No one did. Uh, maybe it's looking at that and just saying, hey, like when you don't have good starting cornerbacks, like you're just dead in the water. It doesn't matter what else you do on defense. You're dead in the water versus how much of that then is, hey, like Vance, maybe he just kind of went and didn't feel like he had the corners. He kind of maybe we've talked about turtling a bit, crawled inside of the shell, played some of that soft zone to was able to kind of go and pick it apart. There was a, one of those times, particularly on the goal line, where it looked like the, there was wide open underneath, at least, as far as with, I think it was one of their receivers. Um, they even had a line to gain. It was just, it was a bizarre coverage by the Cardinals. Everyone back in the end zone, one of the guys was there open underneath for an easy touchdown. Uh, like you said, John, I think that the thing that we're looking at overall is a team that is flawed. And I think that's something that you have to then embrace as the Cardinals go up. Kyler Murray, I think, is the story of this game. He goes off for uh, 283 passing yards, three passing touchdowns, as well as 106 yards and one touchdown on only 11 carries, which is impressive. The fact that that was still not enough is very, very interesting because uh, Kyler was very upset after the game. Uh, Josh Weinfuss tweeted out that DeAndre Hopkins was basically upset, kicked over the, I think, a 10-yard marker. Larry Fitzgerald just kind of ran off the field. Something at least broke as far as with the Cardinals, either where there was frustration with the team and the players, or there was some frustration, like you said, with uh, the decision-making, at least, ultimately, to not go forward on that fourth and one, to kick the 50-yard uh, field goal. And ultimately, while you do want to trust your kicker there, John, I, both you and I agreed that essentially that was a move that wasn't going for the win so much as settling for the tie. And it was similar to that turtling we've talked about with Cliff Kingsbury. And uh, John, like you said, it's hard when you're the Cardinals to be able to look at the team and go, all right, this is your number one team, your number one defense. And or sorry, I should say number one offense, I should say, in the NFL. And to take a look then at Cliff Kingsbury and be like, all right, like some people are saying fire him like right after the game, which I think is obviously a step too far uh, when you're talking about it, but it shows that this team is still in the process of creating and crafting a winning culture. I think Kyler being upset after the game of not accepting uh, this as a loss, not even just because, oh man, we missed this opportunity. We could have gone up on Seattle. We could have missed. He said that we came out, we laid an egg as a team overall, that they just didn't take advantage of the opportunity. They expected to win this game. They did not. And it's going to take, I think, at least to get to that standard that Kyler seeks, that standard of, hey, I demand perfection. I want to be able to make it where we're the best team possible, try to improve his play. You're going to have to burn off some dross. Like, you're going to have to kind of shed some of those impurities. And the way that you kind of do forge a diamond, ultimately, John, as you know, as the metaphor goes, it's through heat and it's through cutting. You have to kind of cut. And right now what we saw at least is, hey, the Cardinals, 
they're still in it in the NFC. They're still a good team, but there's some dross that's going to have to be cut off. And some of that, at least honestly, is the lack of depth really came up and bit this team. And in some cases, even lack of effort in some places was something that was talked about out of the bye. What did you think, at least with Kyler and that post-game press conference, which turned out to be, I think, a bigger story than we thought that it would be after a hard-fought game that the Cardinals came up short in? It's not surprising. Um, and I'll, I'll get heat for this because I've, I've said this for 18 months. Um, but I think that this organization needs to be very transparent with how, how they approach Kyler Murray and his greatness. And if they're not ready to match it, and I know that sounds nuts, but he's on pace for 48 touchdowns, Blake. If they don't get to the postseason – and he's got a passer rating eclipse of 100, and he's got approaching 50 touchdowns, that there's going to be um, major hell to pay. And I've said this continually, that if I'm Kyler Murray and I am carrying this franchise on my back right now because it's not a Mahomes or Lamar Jackson situation again, and I think this bears repeating, where they entered infrastructures of greatness from an NFL standpoint. The Baltimore Ravens right now are, are NFL royalty. John Harbaugh is going to the Hall of Fame. Andy Reid is, is one of the greatest coaches of our lifetime, and the Kansas City Chiefs are incredibly well run. They weren't winning titles before Mahomes, but they were consistently going to the postseason. The Cardinals had the first overall pick. They have what we would equate to, Blake, as an improving roster, but certainly rebuilding probably somewhere in the vicinity of 16th, 17th overall, best overall roster in the NFL. Certainly defensively, the personnel is not great. And Kyler Murray has made them a playoff contender in the sense that he can get them to the postseason by his great play alone. But you saw how dejected he was in that postgame press conference. Very similar to, I remember back when he won the Offensive Rookie of the Year Award last year, and it was like very apologetic, like, we're going to win more next year. I know it didn't go the way we wanted to. Most guys would go up there and talk about, oh, man, I'm so happy to win this award. We had a you know, rebuilding year. I, he looked dejected when he won that award. He is a winner and he's used to winning. And if this franchise is not going to put him in the best position to do that, I am still convinced that he will either force change or exhaust his options. Now, the Cardinals, they have his rights. They can continually franchise him. I'm sure, 99% sure, he'll sign an extension with this team one day. But I think it just bears watching. This is a young man who will not stand for anything other than consistently competing for championships. That is his level. And the Cardinals need to take a holistic view of their franchise, from scouting to coaching to personnel, and say, are we matching Kyler's level? I love Michael Bidwell, okay, but he's made some mistakes since he's become the, the president of the team, and he does not know how to, right now, elevate the rest of his team on the same level as Kyler Murray. They do not have a defensive coordinator that is matching the greatness of Kyler Murray. The, the thing to do, and we've talked about this, Blake, was to go out and to get um, Vance Joseph, a Wade Phillips, somebody like that, that you could say, Kyler Murray, look, our defense is going to instantly improve with this addition. Now, I get why they didn't make the change after one year with Vance because of the pandemic, because of you know, they wanted to keep some kind of continuity. The, the personnel was so bad last year, they wanted to see what he could do. And the defense has improved to some effect. Yeah, and we 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 talked about that as well, John. Sorry to cut you off there, but we also saw last year in the last two games of the season how vastly the defense did improve to the point where it's like, all right, right, there was at least confidence that there was talent issues and talent discrepancy behind it. And I think that that was a big thing that did rear its head again today. There was plays where you can look at on the field that were near sacks that Tua was able to run away from. There were options that were there. There was some poor corner play. Like we talked about, there was several different times during the game, at least, where the Cardinals were in spot where they needed to make a play, and there was something that either came up. Um, there was like some point to, you know, Buda Baker with missing at least a tackle on a on a play that was on third down, or 
One of the ones that stuck out to me was Patrick Peterson looking for a pick on a third and long play, going for the pick, didn't go necessarily for the tackle. Yeah. Ball gets by him, receiver turns around, picks up a first down while the Dolphins were backed up on the goal line, just about ready to punt. There was little spots like that that popped up where there were missed opportunities, and I said during the game, said, hey, looks like this is going to be one of those games where Kyler's going to have to put up 40 for them to win. And when they didn't put up 40 and when Cliff didn't give them the opportunity on that last fourth down to go for it, and, you know, maybe there was questions if they had enough plays. Maybe there's questions if the Cardinals had something designed or felt like the Dolphins were onto them. There was one fourth down play they were lucky to convert um, that they got a pass interference on. Chase Edmonds wasn't really there with the Rockets. Like, okay, he he's trying to manage, do the best that he can. But if you're going to be able to kind of go out there and just – say, hey, we want to be able to take advantage of Brian Flores going and settling for the field goal. That gives you a chance to say, hey, we've got this guy's run for 100 yards. Let him go and give a chance to make a play for that one on fourth down. It's not a gimme at a 50-yard field goal. It's not like you're, you know, looking at, oh, man, this is like a 32-yard field goal that we're giving up at least for a chance to win the game. You know, if we miss this, there's going to be some criticism. It was not a gimme in that situation as we saw ultimately that play cost the Cardinals quite a bit as far as their chance to win the game. And when that kick missed, it was essentially over as soon as the Dolphins got a first down. And in that sense, John, it did remind me a bit of these Texas Tech games in a lot of different cases. As far as why did Cliff make that decision? You kind of gave some of the game away. And while I do think we've seen a lot from Cliff learning and moving forward, this is kind of like what we said, John. The first time that we saw the Cardinals drop back-to-back games, we started to say, all right, this is kind of a red flag. You got to wave in front, see what, what is this team going to do moving forward after the Panthers game. They were able to bounce back, brought off three straight, but you don't have a lot of wiggle room now in the games moving forward. Uh, if you look at how the Cardinals, they're now 5-3, and three, same record as the Dolphins. You play another two playoff teams the next two weeks with the Bills, and then you play the Seahawks on the road on a Thursday night game. You could be going from looking at, hey, we're essentially – one fourth down away, see if we can get a touchdown here from going up six and two to suddenly falling where you've got a shot at a 500 record for that one. And that just shows you how important these close situations and that type of management lasts in the NFL. And I think it's a good question to ask, I think at least, to be able to see improvement from Cliff in that area. I mean, he's only 41 years old. He's still young and learning. But when you've got a quarterback who's ready to win now, you only have so many times I think you can go through this, and I think that's one of the spots at least that is going to dog Kingsbury, that he's going to have to learn and grow from this, just like Kyler Murray's had to learn and grow throughout the season too. Well, and if, here's to all the fans that are frustrated about that game, especially as it relates to the schedule coming up with the Cardinals. If you want to be a playoff team, you need to beat some playoff teams to get there. It's It's as simple as that. I count one team that you've beaten thus far this season that will most likely make the postseason, and that's your overtime victory narrowly over Seattle at home. But you've got a Rams team, an Eagles team, another crack at the Seahawks, and a Buffalo team all have with their sights on the postseason. Likely the two games versus the Rams will, will dictate whether or not it's going to be the Cardinals or the Rams that enter the postseason, you would think. Now, they have the Giants, they have the Niners, they have the Patriots. But it's going to come down to if the Cardinals win the games they're supposed to and lose the games they're favored, or excuse me, and lose the games that they're not favored in. Because I'm going to tell you right now, I don't think the Cardinals are going to be favored against Buffalo right now. They're not going to be favored against Seattle at Seattle. And I think the Rams games will probably be coin flipped. It is going to be a razor thin margin right now. Mm -hmm. And, And you know what? This is, like you just mentioned, Blake, this is how we're going to find out if Cliff Kingsbury can be a big-time head coach, if Vance Joseph is going to keep his job for another year. Because they are too talented, and really, they're too great right now at the most important position. If he puts up close to 50 touchdowns and they miss the playoffs, and because listen, at the end of the day, it's not about how you start, it's how you finish, and I know that's cliche, (laughs) We're going to point out this Cardinals started 5-2. and two. If they finish 8-8 eight and eight and don't get into the postseason and end the season on a 3-6 on a and six losing streak or a 3-6 and six record in their next nine games, that is an indictment of, of Cliff Kingsbury. 
And he knows that. And so it's how quickly can you stop the bleeding? They had two straight losses, then they won three straight. This Buffalo team is certainly not unbeatable, but it's a difficult, it's a difficult task, especially for this defense that is under man. But I don't want to hear excuse making. I want to see a coach elevate the players that he does have. Everybody in the NFL, every team, has had issues of, with, with effect to the, to the pandemic, COVID players missing games. I think the Cardinals have been relatively lucky on the injury front. Um, you know, outside of Chandler Jones, of course, they have not lost a significant player. And most of the time, guys that they've, they've lost, they've come back relatively quickly. And listen, you've, you've been talking about it for months, Blake. It's, it's really their own fault that they didn't invest more in the cornerback position. And I don't think there's any doubt now as we enter the offseason that's either, you know, the Christmas list, wish list number one for the Cardinals or, or number two behind impact defensive linemen. I, I think they're, they're okay at, at pass rusher. With what I saw from Marcus Golden, I'm so fired up about that addition. I thought he played great. Hassan Reddick continued to play well. They're going to get Kennard back. That rotation is is good enough to get them to the playoffs. What's not good enough right now is Patrick Peterson. Really, in my opinion, he's a number two corner or a B-plus corner right now on certain weeks. Now, he could look great against DK Metcalf, but... You know, Devontae Parker got him a handful of times on Sunday. He's not a lockdown number one anymore, in my opinion, certainly approaching 30 years old in a contract year. They desperately need Byron Murphy to come back. And I think, Blake, a situation to monitor, too, is the defensive line is banged up, and they need some guys to either come back healthy, that being a Zach Allen, because he was playing relatively well before he went down, and they need Jordan Phillips. I mean, I, I know he's banged up, and he's got an ankle, they need Jordan Phillips to be that guy. They need Jordan Phillips to be able to rush from the interior. I, I know he's hurt, but he was active. If you're active, you're, you're going to, you know, I don't need you on a pitch count. I need you impacting the game. And, you know, on the season, and I, I love that addition, but that's a player who had nine sacks, and we're going to be playing his former team this week. And so far this year, he's got two sacks. He's on pace for four. That's not what the Cardinals paid for. So it's just... I get the frustration with Cardinal fans. I think this offense, it's why they didn't make a move at the deadline for a receiver, offensive line help. This offense, Blake, against the number one scoring defense, put up 31 points and didn't score in the third quarter or fourth quarter. They put up 31 points in three quarters. They're good enough against any team. You've seen it against a good Washington defense, good San Francisco defense. They should put up 30 to 40 points every week for the rest of the week. Nobody on their schedule should keep them under 30 points. The only people that can do that are the people inside the Cardinal locker room, that being Cliff Kingsbury and the players not executing. Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins, right now, if the season ended today, are either first or second team all-pro players, certainly Pro Bowl players at their position. Christian Kirk, who we I have been praising on this podcast for three years, I have been waiting for this breakout. He leads the NFL in touchdown receptions, I believe, over the last three weeks. I think he's got... Blake, if I'm looking at the last three weeks, five touchdowns on the season, or excuse me, in the last three weeks, and six since the Carolina game. So all of his touchdowns since the, only since the Carolina game, which is in early October. I know he's on pace right now for 800 yards, but keep in mind how he started the season. He was a non-factor against San Francisco. I don't think he had any yards, he, or excuse me, he had one catch for zero yards, okay, and then played a little bit against Washington and then didn't play again until Carolina so I, I he is right now to me the breakout player offensively for this team and certainly looks like a capable number two so you're set now offensively you're going to get Kenyon Drake back I'm not concerned about Chase Edmonds clearly Miami was stacking the box people who are claiming Chase Edmonds needs to be benched and Warzino Benjamin Chase Edmonds is fine we always said Blake and I have consistently said He's not a bell cow running back, but, and he got, I mean, he got 28 touches. That's probably a little too much. He, he needs to be somewhere between 15 and 20, mm-hmm. but he's perfect in a hybrid situation with another back that's effective and where the Cardinals needed, what the Cardinals needed on Sunday was a big plowing running back to move the chains running north and south. And Kenyon Drake is that when he's effective. What I will say though, is that you still ran for 178 yards and 4.8 yards per carry. I mean, the offense, to me, there are going to be situations where they're going to have to be aggressive, 
Well, why is that? It's because the defense is not playing like they, they, they needed to play. That effort Sunday was just so demoralizing against a team, Blake, that was missing five assistant coaches, including the quarterback coach. They had no running backs to speak of, right? They lost Preston Williams after the first half. And yet Miami, in the third quarter, Blake, came out, or excuse me, in the fourth quarter and put up 10 points. And you couldn't stop Tua. Yeah. The, the Dolphins were still driving. So uh, I, I am complimentary of Vance Joseph when the case calls for it. I'm not a hypocrite in that regard. But I also know that if this team doesn't make the playoffs, it's because the defense just completely wets the bed in the last half of the season. I hope it doesn't happen, but they got a lot of tough assignments coming up. Yeah, for sure, John. And COVID, honestly, is one of the things that is probably the most unpredictable matter you've seen already where there's been multiple times that there's starting quarterbacks have been ruled out from games uh, with that point because of COVID. There's been a player who was very much needed, and we even called him the best corner on the Cardinals this year in Byron Murphy was missing in that game. Um, there's a lot, I think, that you just have to be able to adapt and overcome those items. And right now, John, like you said, Murray is the kind of player who can and is been uh, overcoming these types of situations. The, he was blitzed out of his mind the other day, and he was just making guys miss left and right. There was, like, jokes that Kyle Van Noy's career was ended where so fourth and one. He had uh, Flores had dialed up the perfect play in that regard. You've got a guy who's filling the gap that Kyler was in, plus a quarterback spy behind him. It was like there was no way they knew kind of almost like they knew what the play Arizona wanted to run was. Kyler pulls the ball, jukes the guy in the open field, and then just runs past the spy who's supposed to be on him, didn't have the best angle, takes off for another 20 yards or so. It's very difficult to see like how, how you're able to stop that as an NFL defensive coordinator because you're seeing some great great uh, ability from Murray and you're seeing how teams are going to have to change the way that they defend him because in some cases it's almost impossible to fully defend him which is part of the benefit that we've said and his ascendancy in a lot of ways John has been stark because like we said the Cardinals didn't seem to start the year super well like we watched okay Kyler's running around making some plays and throwing the ball to Hopkins and what we've seen develop now is uh, an offensive performance that Hopkins wasn't even targeted in the first half of the game, didn't even really have many catches. He got a couple of PIs that were drawn overall. And, and they still scored 31 still points, 31 which points. is a sign of a good it's offense. incredible. The production that we're seeing right now is something that is uh, launching him into uh, the elite category. And something at least that someone asked was, hey, like, you know, before the season started, what would you have said as far as for how many quarterbacks would you take over Kyler or where's Kyler rank? And the answer was usually, oh, yeah, he's, he's probably in the top five for the most part. You're up, you know, people would say, Hey, he's still younger, you can take a little bit for that one, and it's like, but he's probably getting close to or around that category of you know, the the Lamars, the Deshaun Watsons, and it seems like he's kind of rocketed up to the point where you're like, Okay, is it like Mahomes and Russell? And then, like, are you gonna take Lamar Jackson over Kyler Murray? Or are you going to look at Deshaun Watson and say, Hey, maybe I could take a guy like Deshaun Watson as far as the passing game? And then you look at some of the uh, the Texans and some of the other aspects, you're like, Okay, like maybe if you're a Deshaun fan, you call it a draw, but Kyler is his rushing ability still outweighs what you're seeing from a guy like Deshaun Watson right now. And he's growing much more comfortable in being able to just make guys whiff on a dime. The fact of the matter at least is John is that the Cardinals at least, and this is kind of what going back to what his agent, Eric Burkhardt said is, Hey, this is like one of those things where you don't pass on a Michael Jordan when he comes in from a production standpoint, Kyler is basically being able to produce, putting up huge yards, having these big games, uh, you know, that perfect deep pass to Christian Kirk at least. And like you said, when the situational football comes in, the Cardinals at least still don't have all of their ducks in a row to be able to avoid some of those serious penalties or serious mistakes. Uh, I think we, we want to talk about uh, some of the positives here. Uh, obviously, there was the likes of seeing a few additions to the team, seeing some guys like Max and Jalen back. Uh, we can, we're going to talk a little bit about what we saw from Isaiah Simmons, including a hot take from you, John. But uh, let's dwell a little bit on the last aspect, uh, which was the ultimately reasons why the Cardinals lost this game from a player standpoint. A lot of that, I think, falls onto the likes of Andy Isabella and Zane Gonzalez in the end because they were counted on for essentially kind of whatever the job that they had. And there was one area in particular that each of them didn't end up following through on. For Andy, it was on a, I believe it was third and seven. 
He catches the ball essentially nine yards close to the first, I think it was six yards close to the first down, thinks that he's got a window to the right, tries to juke, make a guy miss, goes backwards, gets tackled. Cardinals uh, call a timeout. Cliff Kingsbury, at least, that either it wasn't awareness or thought that there was needing time to conserve. Maybe he thought and just missed that the Cardinals had not gotten to the first down, thought that Andy had picked it up at least uh, just kind of by forward progress was not the case so he ended up calling a timeout which is a faux pas i don't blame him for that one as much because it was such a huge faux pas from andy isabella to not pick up that first down in that situation the cardinals end up punting the ball back don't go for it on fourth and one with that little time left in the clock and you know it, it makes sense to punt there for the most part the defense then blows lets a couple of big plays happen Finns get in position add an extra three points onto the board so you're talking about 10 points essentially that the offense has given up one for a touchdown and one for just not being able to kind of get off the uh, field without enough time for Miami and not being able to, you know, continue that drive forward and put up 10 points of their own. That was a huge swing in the game overall. Isabella went on to fumble a ball later, did recover his own fumble after a bit of a scrum. It was to the point where some Cardinals fans were like wanted him to be released the next day. And Walter and I talked a bit about Isabella and his progress. We liked where it was, but the concern overall was, hey, like, He's kind of on the pace where he's still not getting all of the nuances of playing the wide receiver position just yet. This is one of those nuances that's just situational. Pick up the first down first, carry, uh, care about the big play later is the idea overall. It was similar to Patrick Peterson jumping that route. He's in a spot, John, where I think when you're entering year three, you're still going to have to get some sort of slot competition for him, especially if you don't have Larry Fitzgerald back. And that year three is probably going to be that crucial year ultimately because right now with Arizona, he's caught one of those big deep passes this year. He had that great two-touchdown game against the Lions, but the consistency has been an issue overall, and that's something at least that the Cardinals, when they're in these tight games, are probably not able to afford since there's so much going on right now. What were your thoughts, at least overall, with what we've seen from Isabella and even from Zane, who came up short on that one kick, second week in a row, that there's been kind of a clutch situation? It wasn't like this was a bad miss, but it did ultimately cost the Cardinals a chance to at least tie the game up. Now, I, I think they would have lost anyway, given the fact that you know Cliff's decision-making in that sense, we both agreed, was poor, should have gone for it on that fourth down to be able to get the win. But he counted on Zane to at least tie it up. They would have had a minute left for the Dolphins to, you know, maybe you can make a play on defense like the last week. But what do you think about some of these players? And then we can talk about the positives after that. Yeah, I let's start with Zane. I think, you know, we all want Zane to succeed. Local product went to Arizona State. I think the team liked him coming into this season but again people throwing at me well he was great in 2019 2019 the cardinals won five games how many instances was he asked to make clutch kicks he had a high conversion rate because the cardinals couldn't score in the red zone so we're routinely kicking field goals in non-pressure situations i think we're finding this year that it just in my opinion right now he's not the guy He's 5 for 8 on field goals attempted between 40 to 49 yards. Now he is 5 for or excuse me 2 for 3 with 50 plus, but he's 11 for 15 on the year. That's average. You could argue that's below average. In the last 5 games, he's got a 65% as a field goal kicker. And they've shown you what they think of him by continually going for it on fourth down, but I think Cliff probably thought to himself, "Well, this is close enough." He can hit this, and then he, I don't know if he nubbed it with his foot. I've never seen anything like that where it didn't have the distance from, you're inside, you're indoors in a dome in Arizona, and you can't get the ball there sub-50? My opinion, they would replace Zane Gonzalez if they had somebody to replace him with. He is on borrowed time. You You potentially blew the game with a gimme field goal in overtime against Seattle. Your defense and your quarterback bailed you out, and you got another chance at it. That's typically not how the NFL works. The Cardinals really could have been 0-2 the last two weeks in part because of you, Zane Gonzalez. So, again, people who are throwing out statistics from 2019, that means nothing. That team was not asked to compete on the national stage going for a postseason berth. That was a team that had five wins. His kicks were not asked to be made in primetime against Seattle 
or in a winning scenario against a, a Miami team that's won three straight that has playoff implications. So, again, I think they'll give him a shot the rest of the year, barring a complete meltdown, but they'll look for an upgrade. He just hasn't been good enough. You are either making kicks or you're missing them. And he's got a 73.3 kicking percentage on the year. You see what Miami's kicker's doing? The guy's made like 20 in a row. You don't think that has in part to, to why they're winning? So, uh, again, he's an average kicker right now, and I, I would move off of him as soon as I could. Now let me get to Isabella. It was a good week for me to have that rant last week with Walter with regard to Isabella because here's the deal. And I posted this on, on Twitter, and I, I wanted to be more critical, but I'm like, no, you know, let's just let's wait and see here. I said Andy Isabella following that blunder on third down where he easily could have fallen forward for the first down, and he didn't. Andy Isabella is not a winning football player right now, and I really just should have put Andy Isabella is not a winning football player, period. And again, we've gone through all of the scenarios with regard to him, UMass, undersized, 5'9", over DK Metcalf. You guys don't want to hear me go on and on about that again. But here's what I will say. He's on pace right now, Blake, for 320 yards receiving in the number one offense in football. He is not going to be a factor moving forward. I've seen enough. I... I I would not have cut him after the game, but I would have understood it if they did in an effort to send the message. And I put this out on Twitter as well. I think Andy Isabella is this team's Dante Pettis. If you don't know who Dante Pettis is, he was a second-round receiver. The San Francisco 49ers took out of Washington. He was John Brown's running mate at the University of Washington, and he was just a huge disappointment for the Niners. He had his glimpses. He actually burnt the Cardinals a couple times for touchdowns in the past, and they just kept trotting him out there, and he kept disappointing. Just couldn't get on the same page with Kyle Shanahan, and it just didn't work out, and they released him. And I think he's since been picked up by the Giants. Andy Isabella is going to fall, in my opinion, under that same category. I, I, what are we, 20? So we're 24 games into his career, Blake. I, in my opinion, this is who he is. At least with Christian Kirk, I saw brilliant, flashes of brilliance in between inconsistencies to stay healthy which Isabella doesn't have he's healthy he's just not a factor and then Kirk yes would disappear sometimes in games but we've seen now with Kirk he's meant to be a number two and when he has a number one in Hopkins he is thriving Andy Isabella really is asked to be called upon as the team's three or fourth receiver most weeks he can't even do that Uh, he drops balls he doesn't give you much yards after the catch this year. I know he had the big touch, the nice game against Detroit. He's an NFL player, and I said that last week. Mm-hmm. He is certainly not worthy of the 62nd overall pick. When you've got guys like, and I'm just going to use this as a comp, take this for what you want, Hunter Renfro for the L.A. Raiders, or the Las Vegas Raiders, I think he went in like the 6th, 7th round. He's a better player than Andy Isabella right now, the kid out of Clemson. Andy Isabella, to me, I, I, I think they'll keep him just to keep him as a body. But right now, I think he, I, I, I'm firmly in the category that he is a bust. I, I, I don't think, and, and again, you're not going to hit on every pick. And I said that last week. They, they're lucky. They've hit on mostly all of their second rounders since what? Marcus Golden? Since Troy Nicholas in 2014. They've gone from uh, Marcus Golden in 2015. That's a hit, in my opinion. They got... Chandler Jones in 2016 in a trade. In 2017, they got Buda Baker. In 2018, they got Christian Kirk. That looks like a hit. In 2019, they took Isabel and Byron Murphy. Byron Murphy looks like a hit. And then now this year, you don't have a second-round pick because you traded for DeAndre Hopkins. It's okay. You're not going to hit on every player. And that's why I'm trying to contextualize this away from the Metcalf-Seattle situation. And I know so many people have pointed out, well, if you had – Drafted DK Metcalf, you wouldn't trade for Hopkins. Well, here's the thing. Right now, DK Metcalf has more touchdowns and receiving yards than DeAndre Hopkins, and he's a hell of a lot cheaper and younger. I'm not saying he's a better player or he's going to have the kind of career Hopkins has. I'm just saying, let's let's put some context on this now. And I think Hopkins is, is still one of the top two or three best receivers in all football. But DK Metcalf would be great with Kyler Murray, too. Let's just, and the Cardinals would have, would have 
almost 20 more million in cap space and they would have had a second or a second round pick to use this year and who I don't know how they would have used that and it's dumb to go down that road so I'm just I'm putting that out there for context I'm thrilled that they got Hopkins and I would do the trade again I just wouldn't take Andy Isabella okay and I'm not convinced I, I probably wouldn't have taken DK Metcalf too I've said that continually I would have taken you know offensive lineman I you know I didn't I didn't love the DK I didn't love Metcalf as a prospect anyway so I think it's unfair to, to continually point that out but I will say this, Isabella to me, along with Zane Gonzalez, they are going to have to repair their image over the next eight games or they will, f- they will fall into oblivion with this team. Zane has a, has a strong chance to be released or cut after this year if he continues this trend. Isabella, like you mentioned, Blake, they'll probably still keep him around. He's cheap enough, but they'll add competition. If Larry comes back, they draft a receiver. You've got Kirk. You've got Hopkins. You're going to get a receiving back, I would imagine, in next year's draft. You know, your tight ends are good receiving options. There's just, they're not, there aren't options for Isabella to thrive. He's had opportunities. Last year, he could have emerged in a receiving core that was undermanned and, and not great, right? Didn't have a Hopkins in the fold. This year, when Kirk was out and Fitz was just a non-factor, had a chance, couldn't do it. And I, I think the time, his time's running out to be, a, to be an effective playmaking you know, star receiver that warrants a top 63 pick in the draft. And, you know, I've seen enough at this point. I certainly don't want him returning any more kicks, Blake. With Chase normally as their kick returner, it'll be interesting to see if there are adjustments or changes because after that fumble and then the play previously, Cliff still trusted Isabella, put him out on a route with Kirk, Isabella, Sherfield, and ran a play. And part of that, I think that's at least good, is that there is an unflappable nature. I look back to the Bucks game where Ronald Jones had that one fumble, and uh, Arians essentially was like benched him for the rest of the game. And then you start looking at how they just did not have any sort of efficiency or while playing. And it seemed like the Bucks, for whatever reason, it just they got hit hard. And when they did get hit hard, it's like that a lot of the air was deflated from the team. What I think at least it's one positive, we're going to kind of switch to some of the good things that we saw, John, is ultimately this whole DK Metcalf thing in a lot of cases, it's still kind of a champagne problem. It's not like we're looking at the Cardinals going, oh gosh, they don't have a number one wide receiver. In this game, their number one wide receiver had three catches for, uh, was it 33 yards? And we still got to see Larry Fitzgerald get involved, Christian Kirk go off for over 100, including a big score, and Kyler Murray essentially taking over. When you've got a quarterback who's able to do the things that he's done, I think that you're right in terms of we're in the process of seeing Kyler have to kind of lift up the Cardinals in a lot of different cases and demand a lot higher expectation. And I think it is going to bring other people along with him. This isn't going to be one of those places where you're going to have, I think, the head coach who's going to be weighing you down a lot of people are saying that's going to be the case and I think you look at you know the likes of Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson and other areas where Carroll had this insane interview where he said yeah the Bills came out throwing the ball we had a great plan for their run game just don't know what happened there you're like okay <laughs> like so did you just not plan at all for that aspect Pete uh, you talk about how everything before this year was saying hey let Russell cook let him throw the ball they just had this very run heavy offense this is the first year where Russ essentially was kind of let loose before the fourth quarter uh, you also talk about all of those missed picks that Seattle has had with the first round the Cardinals have had that too there's at least been enough a change in willingness inside of the organization that I don't have a lot of doubt that Kyler Murray is going to help lift it up. And in that sense, that's something that we're not talking about enough, I think at least, is how, hey, the Cardinals in this aspect are 5-3 and three and having close losses. There are teams, at least right now, John, who are like the Jets for that one. A whole bunch of Jets fans were essentially rooting for the team to blow a lead to the Patriots because they don't have that guy. They're hoping that a guy like a Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields can be that guy. The fact that the Cardinals have one of those is something I think that's tremendous, and we do want to make sure that at this point we're not ever taking Kyler for granted. Um, Sure, there's a play that he threw on that. uh, It was the same play, if I remember correctly, that Cliff Kingsbury ran in the Lions game, uh, the very first Cardinals game, but he brought Larry Fitzgerald from left to right across the formation. Quick little throw in the flat, pick up the first down there, and that game it was a touchdown. Kyler throws it low. You miss it on third down, Cliff doesn't go for it on fourth down it's like you're not going to hang the entire game on Kyler when he basically had been their entire offense so that's one of the things I think that we can look at as a positive of the Cardinals because they're in a new realm now 
because they're competing now, expectations are raised. And I think that that's part of where I think fans are more frustrated, John, like you said, is because expectations are raised and Kyler's having to kind of pull this team along with him, I think it is going to lead to more change, uh, a lot more as far as either aggressiveness, uh, especially pushing in a lot of different ways on an organization that in a lot of ways has kind of had times where they were a bit too complacent. You look at coming off of the bye or even going out to that Panthers game where they just got blown out. Kyler is, I think, bringing about a new sort of culture for the Arizona Cardinals. And I think that that is probably the biggest takeaway that I had was that there was a time during this game, John, where I had no doubt that the Cardinals were going to find a way to win this game because they had Kyler Murray. That is the opposite of what most Cardinals fans have experienced over the past at least 20-plus years in the Valley. It's more, how are the Cardinals going to find a way to blow this thing? That transition is something I think that we can be proud of while also still being able to critique and criticize when the Cardinals aren't taking advantage of those things, like, hey, hey we're going to go for the 50-yard field goal versus taking our best player on the field and being able to run him. We're going to, you know, not necessarily say, hey, we're going to play for padding some of those stats like Patrick Peterson versus just going out and doing your job in coverage. There's some of that change, I think, that we're going to, we're already seeing it happen on the field, especially even in the last two uh, few weeks. What's tough about the opportunity is you're still behind the Seahawks. They've got a pretty easy schedule ahead as far as for some of the games that are there. So your opportunity to have maybe a special season surpass them and take advantage of an NFC that doesn't have any elite teams right now, it seems like, you kind of missed a shot at that. Now, that being said, there's good news because there are no elite teams this year. Uh, the Saints have had weaknesses. Breeze looks like his arm is, you know, it's pretty much on the way out. The Bucks just got nearly shut out by the Saints, whose defense has even been suspect somewhat this year. The Packers had 200-plus rushing yards put up on them. The Seahawks just got blown out by the Bills. Uh, the Rams were blown out the week before by this same Dolphins team that the Cardinals hung 31 points on. There still is a lot of hope and promise for this season and the hope John is that this will be a second wake-up call for the team and the coaching staff to take advantage of it and uh, the fact that you probably are going to be looking at the quarterback on the opposite side of the Cardinals and unless you're playing Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson Cardinals are going to have a better quarterback at least on that side of the ball if not one who maybe makes a mistake or two less in the likes of a Breeze or Brady. Uh, let's talk a bit about some of the uh, additions that we've seen to the team because there were some very positive additions that we did get to see to the Cardinals, particularly uh, on the defensive side. The easy one that you could see was Max Williams. A beautifully designed play by Cliff Kingsbury for the touchdown. Brings him across the formation like he's going to block. Sheds a guy. They realize it too late. Wide open for an easy walk-in touchdown. Uh, the blocking, at least, also was very solid throughout that game, considering how much Kyler was being blitzed. They at least did a good job in terms of um, he was able to escape when they brought extra unblocked guys he had a plan for when the guys were unblocked. You can't really, uh, it's called for when you're being accounted for. The unblocked guy, when you see it that he's unblocked, that is on the quarterback. Kyler managed that excellently. But the defensive side, we got to see some promise in the positions that were, you know, not their fourth or fifth string cornerbacks. Jalen Thompson could have had a pick earlier in the game. He was the highest graded pro football focused Cardinals defensive player. You're also talking about Isaiah Simmons for the first time actually got snaps on the field, John, and he, he did well with them. He had, I believe, the uh, the high, second highest tackling grade on the team. He held up well in coverage. Uh, when you're looking at how it was, he rushed the edge a little bit. He had one play, I think, that he was held on that it looked like he could have had a sack. Uh, overall, at least, it seemed like it was a solid performance, and it showed that there is at least a space for him and this team. And, John, we said this is, from what we heard in camp, kind of the role that we thought and had expected for him to have throughout most of the year. And it's a little bit of a surprise that it took more time, I guess, than we expected. There was questions, at least, for how it was going to look. He had a great special teams tackle as well. I think that part of it, at least, John, is that there is upside for this team that you can look at with getting some of these guys back where they can continue to make more plays on defense. I think the concern, at least overall, is with the timing and the unknowns of COVID, do the Cardinals have the ability to be able to go out and make the plays that are necessary? Because uh, right now that defense, while it's at least still probably in the top 10, it looks like, in terms of DVOA, it's 
still got enough questions about the yardage and situational where you kind of are letting teams hang around. What are some of your thoughts on the additions that the Cardinals made? And I know that you've got, wanted to say this, you've got a hot take as well about Devondre Campbell and Isaiah Simmons. Well, I just, and it, I mean, it can also go with, with Jordan Hicks um, because I think, you know, there'll, there'll be games where Campbell flashes more than Hicks and then vice versa. And, and Hicks's contract goes, you know, through this year into next year, they could always move off of it. And Campbell's on a one-year deal, but I just put out there, you know, the, the Dolphins told you in a playoff race that we got to know what we have with Tua um, to, to be able to assess how we can, you know, build this team moving forward. And I know it's not the same thing with, when, in terms of positional value, but at what point do you just say, we got to put Isaiah Simmons out there because what we have right now, and I think it's even to a lesser extent because Ryan Fitzpatrick was playing really well. I mean, Jordan Hicks and Devondre Campbell are, are fine, um, Campbell has fallen off a little bit. I know he has sacked this week, but they watch them in coverage. Watch them try to run on those receiver screens, those running back screens that Miami did. Uh, and they, they fooled them left and right. I mean, Hicks had a nice tackle for a loss, I think, to start the game. They just disappeared too much. And what are you getting with Isaiah Simmons? You're getting a unicorn playmaker that can force turnovers, that is exceptional in coverage. Uh, he just, he is an when you get the best of Isaiah Simmons, it's not even close to comparable with what you get with Jordan Hicks and Devondre Campbell. And they're fine players. They're starters and can be really capable players with a lot of great pieces around them. But they got exposed this week. They got exposed by a somewhat mobile quarterback that got them into space, and it wasn't pretty. Jordan Hicks looked really bad at times in this game. And Isaiah Simmons... I mean, what more do you need to see? I, I just think that at some point, you just got to make a decision that he's our future, clearly. He, he's not embarrassing himself by any means. He's playing well every time he gets an opportunity. I mean, the, the, the situation against Kyle Shanahan week one, I mean, that feels like forever ago. Every time that I see him now, he's flashing. He made a couple tackles um, to start off the first possession for Miami, which, by the way, was a, um, was a punt by Miami. So I just, I just think that what do you have to lose if you put him out there and he and he gets exposed, I mean, like, he's the eighth overall pick in the draft. We're eight games in. He needs to be playing because what you have right now isn't good enough. You can't hide the warts of Campbell and Hicks consistently with a back seven that contains a bunch of practice squad corners. And, I, you know, our safeties are, are, are good players, but they're not elite um, from a coverage standpoint. Boot is an elite player overall, but he's not an elite ball hawking safety. The Cardinals just, they need a better presence at inside linebacker that can do more things at a higher level than what they have. Right now, it's almost like Vance Joseph is playing it safe because he's worried about putting Simmons out there maybe because of what it'll do to the locker room. You, you, you de facto bench one of the veterans on the team. You got guys who know the system in and out, but they just don't have the ceiling. And that's what Miami did with Tua. And I said, well, why can't you do that with Isaiah Simmons? So that's frustrating to me, but... Um, I, I'm encouraged by what I've seen, and I just think at the end of the day, what more do you need to see from him? He has been really good when he's played outside of Week One. So this def- this defense is is getting is getting exposed lately, and it's not because of him. So what's the common denominator? Yeah, the the common denominator I think in some cases, John, is that the Cardinals, while you went up against Seattle as a great unit, you're able to force turnovers. What we also saw in that game was some fantastic plays by Russ. You saw Peterson shutting down the likes of DK Metcalf. But you've also at least been able to see enough holes overall in terms of some of it comes down to Simmons, what we said early in the season, was probably maybe one of, if not the best tackler on the team after Buda Baker. And now that we've gotten a chance to see him remember, oh yeah, and, and Jalen Thompson for how good that safety pairing actually is. Uh, I think back to yesterday where there was a play in coverage where it was almost a touchdown that Tua just was able to kind of take a uh, – it was a late release from a tight end who seemed like he was staying in to block, and then he just tossed it to the tight end. Jordan Hicks was kind of the guy watching Tua, watching that. He did not have anywhere as far as the closing speed to catch up. Just having that athleticism at linebacker changed a lot of the Cardinals' defense with the likes of Devondre Campbell, and you can kind of see that role. There was two times where there was an A-gap blitz up the middle, and both times, uh, Tua was able to shake free of what Campbell was doing. One of them, I think, was basically a sack. Um, and then the other one, at least, he was able to shake free. And I was thinking to myself, oh, gosh, like, 
next year, this is, I understand why the Cardinals drafted Simmons, and we said this at the time, you're picturing him on that A-gap blitz running unblocked straight at a quarterback with that 4-3 speed at 240 Finishing pounds. the job and potentially forcing a turnover. And he's a fantastic tackler as well. Like That was the one thing at least I thought that was interesting was just he, we've talked about the, hey, like put him on the field if you're going to have him at safety because then he's going to make a tackle that the likes of Curtis Riley, who's no longer on this team, wasn't able to make in the Carolina Panthers game. I think the question at least was coverage and so seeing that confidence in the post um, post-Russell Wilson pick Simmons is good to see and that gives, I think, hope fully confidence moving forward for Cardinals fans at this back half you can at least see some of that added boost in some plays uh, I, I think that with more of how it's going at least John is that the impact we're going to see I think is going to hopefully be big in the next year uh, kind of similar to taking the leap like you saw from Kyler this uh, last year to this year where I think we're going to shift to now and we'll talk more about this as we preview the upcoming games is the window of opportunity for the Cardinals is still there that hasn't changed with this loss but as far as if you're going to try to you know have a goal of saying hey we've got a chance to win the NFC West here we don't want to just settle for oh yeah we'll be a playoff team we can get in at about 9 and 7 you know you, you got to look at and see that there is opportunity moving forward and part of that is that this is the now for this team you are talking about a lot of guys, at least, who aren't going to be here next year, and with how the cap will work in the pandemic, there's going to be a lot of question marks. I think this is the time where the Cardinals need to be able to take advantage. I think you can get away and take a few lumps. We've seen that with Kyler Murray and his abilities, but you have to want to see forward progress. What I'm glad about overall, John, is that there still was forward progress made in this game. Despite the fact, at least, that you know we saw the Cardinals, when they played the Panthers, they were punched in the face and they couldn't reply. In this game, they were punched in the face multiple times, and they were able to play the game, keep it close, come away ultimately where it was probably a coaching decision on, hey, we're just going to go ahead for the kick to not go out to be conservative um, with Cliff for that one. That was what ultimately, I think, cost them that chance, and we could have kind of glossed over and said, all right, they're missing these guys. They had a couple of injuries. There's you know that you know fumble six to start the game. Doesn't matter. They came out with a win. They came out with a loss instead, and the hope, John, is that the Cardinals can learn from this to be able to move forward. The hard part, at least, is if this becomes more of the trend or the habit of letting teams score all these points, of hanging all this on here, if they're not able to capitalize, then you're going to be talking about ultimately some wasted opportunities by Arizona, and the hopes that this isn't turned into, uh, like you said, just kind of seeing this tremendous play from their quarterback that we have not seen before in Arizona, and ultimately see it kind of be like, oh, you, you were so close and ultimately then have to wait for, all right, well, maybe there's next year or something. I want to see Arizona take advantage of this and be able to deliver in the here and the now. Uh, let's go ahead and kind of wrap up their episode there as far as with the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining and listening. We'll be back later in this week to preview a uh, fellow playoff team, you could say, about in the Bills. Uh, we'll be talking about that. It's a huge week for the Cardinals. Uh, we'll probably have only one additional show for the most part, I think, next week, given the fact that the Seahawks will be uh, right away on Thursday Night Football. Uh, we'll check in and see if we'll have any uh, either reaction for you after that. If so, it may just be post-game that night. Uh, you can also follow and listen to us on Spotify as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, and other areas. You can find our content on revengeofthebirds.com. And, John, any uh, last comments you want to make about the Dolphins game, Cliff, Kyler, anything at least? And make sure you sign off with where our listeners can find your content as well. Yeah, absolutely. I am, of course, here every week with Blake on the ROTB podcast, as well as in the written form on revengeofthebirds.com. At uh, Twitter, Johnny Venerable, V-E-N-E-R-A-B-L-E. I do a live post-game Periscope show. Didn't do one this week. Uh, Kids were a little too crazy. Plus, I was maybe kind of pouting about the loss, but I promise I'll be back this week with the Periscope show. Regardless of the outcome, hopefully a Cardinal W. Blake, uh, as we are set to preview their game uh, later in the week against Buffalo. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you guys again for listening as we speak. The Cardinals still have that number one offense in the NFL. It's been an awesome special season. Happy to share it with you guys so far. Let's hope the Cardinals can make it a memorable season rather than a season that we're hoping that we'll try to forget down the stretch. See how it goes this next coming week at Buffalo. Thanks again for tuning in to the Revenge of the Birds podcast.